Hello everyone, it's the Wine Hour, the talk show that removes your wine anxiety. A warm welcome to all of you. Today is a green day. As Russian troops and tanks are entering Ukraine, we watch helpless what could become the biggest war on European soil since World War II. The problem with war is that you know how it starts, but you never know how it ends. So I'm based in Lebanon, a country that has its share of wars and strife and turmoils. And through all these turmoils, the ones that really suffered were the innocents. So when greed and power get together in an insatiable thirst for gain and dominance, the words become possible. And war is the ugliest expression of that thirst. What we can do now is pray and send our thoughts to the population of Ukraine. What we can also do is relentlessly oppose hatred and oppression with a beautiful side of mankind. Music, art, culture are just examples of what connects us. When freedom of expressions and thoughts and the celebration of culture are threatened, we enter dark times. They are essentials to our humanity, and if they go away, hope disappears. In the West, we are used to peace and democracy, and we tend to forget that it is vital to defend these rights. Each one of us, with our own abilities and means, we can do our part. This is how we create hope, because at the end, hope is all we have. So here's the menu of today's special show for many reasons. First, in Encore, uh, Jamie, Akash, and Ray, we talk about fake wines and counterfeits and the impact on the industry and collectors. Then in License to Taste, Tanisha will give us a primer on the wines of Malta, and she will give us her version of the Black History Month in 60 seconds. And then finally, in Have a Drink With Me, I'll have the pleasure to welcome our special guest, Joseph Galeja. But now first, uh, let's start with introduction of today's cast. From the beautiful island of Malta and currently in Berlin, where last night he performed as Rodolfo in the premiere of La Boheme at the Deutsche Oper in Berlin. It's a marvelous honor, privilege, and pleasure to welcome Joseph Galeja. <laughs> Thank you. Good evening, Joseph. Good evening. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, what are you drinking? It's the, it's the normal question. We, uh, um, I'm, uh, I'm going to be um, expelled by the Jurat of Saint-Emilion by saying this, but it's uh, pineapple juice. Okay, great. I, I, can't, I can't drink alcohol <laughs> when, I, when I'm when I'm, saying, I'm very strict about that. Um, it's one of the last few rules I do follow. So I had, I had a performance yesterday. I'm performing again on Saturday. So um, I'm I'm on the just um, I'm on a tea, tea totaler at the moment. Oh, great! I'm having herbal tea, so I'm, yeah. That's so okay. it's uh, joining. You were you were a good sport. Thank you so much for <laughs> pouring yourself a glass of Margot to tease me. Yeah. <laughs> and now it's the moment you have all been waiting for. So they make wine, you know, interesting, fun, controversial, and even soulful and even lovable. So coming from our virtual global studio, the one and only wine dream team. Introducing Akos Fordsek, the man of love <laughs> from London. How are you, Akos? Thank you very much. I'm all right. I hope everybody is well as well. What are you having? This time, given the circumstances, I brought out the big guns. <laughs> so it's a Magnum Taros Armagnac 1967, which is my birth year. And um, well, to be honest with you, as uh, Joseph cannot drink, I'll drink for him as well. Okay, you know? so I guess the evening is going to be very long. <laughs> 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 
Joseph, this is to your health. Uh, you know, if you combine juice with this, it will become almost a wine percentage. So Thank you. We, we, we call that in Malta the leg cutter, the leg remover, because uh, after a couple, you don't feel your legs. Because <laughs> it, it always comes after the... Uh, uh, the, uh, uh, the wines, um, our favorites there. Can we mention brands? We yeah, can, yeah right? you can do whatever that's you want. A great, that's a great <laughs> Armagnac. Um, I have that, but uh, favorite brands of Malta are the Summerlands and the Labert d'Olive. Yeah, we have On the plus Armagnac. Sorry, right. to you again. No, no, it's nice. So we're staying in Europe from Paris, Tanisha Townsend. <laughs> Hi, Tanisha. Hello. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I like the hat. Thank you. Looks cool. It was me being lazy. I didn't comb all of no, my hair. A, yeah, There's yeah. that. <laughs> what, what are you having? I'm having water because great. Um, I needed a break. So. Okay, excellent. I'm back at it tomorrow, but water. Excellent. Too. Now we are moving across the pond. She was actually moving. <laughs> Jimmy Orajo. <laughs> I made it. I made she it. Just, she just came from the airport. She's in Miami. And I, you, yeah. you, you sang yeah. in, in Florida not a long time ago, Joseph. And I'm, I'm going back there in, uh, in a week, in, a, in, in eight days. I don't know if you can see Miami, but there yes, it is. Yes, nice Gorgeous. View. Not lying. Nice. And I literally just got in my room. I, I, yeah, I left Raleigh, North Carolina this morning sometime. And here I am. Hooray. Yeah. So you're having water, I guess, or not nothing. You I'm literally have... having nothing because I haven't. I don't even know where the mini bar is. So okay. um, go and grab I'm something. Evening is gonna be long. <laughs> <laughs> and last but not least, coming from New York City, it's always a fantastic pleasure to have Mr. Ray Isla. Good afternoon, Ray. Afternoon, afternoon. How are you? Uh, I'm good. I'm drinking some Barolo. Oh. Uh, Producer, <laughs> the producer that I don't uh, from a tasting I did this morning. A producer I've never run into before, and uh, nice, kind of in a delicate style. Mm. Okay, okay, good. So now, if everybody's ready, uh, grab a glass of apple juice, pineapple juice, water, tea, nothing, anything, uh, just a <laughs> toast to all of you. Thank you for being here, and relax and enjoy the show. Cheers. Here we go. Today's Uncorked is about fake wines, counterfeit, the impact on the industry, and collectors. Ray was super excited about this. He told me I have tons of things to say on that. So we start <laughs> with you, Ray. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's an absolutely fascinating, uh, alarming sometimes topic. It's, um, you know, I, I think there's a lot of conversation right now about, about fake wines kind of at the top end of the auction scale. And and there's a lot of, of also counterfeiting of wines at the commodity level and depending on the country you're in um it's you know it's there's a history of this going back to you know to time of uh, you know the romans that um, wine's been adulterated in all kind of ways um you know falernium which was the the top wine of the romans was um often counterfeited and sold for less than it should be sold to unwitting people um 
you know, they've, they've doctored wines with lead, with, you know, mercury, with all kinds of things over the years. Um, not very good for you. I, I did not like really, no. <laughs> not no, recently, not recently. No, and it tends to be more labels and just fake cheap wine in bottles now. But I, I did like the fact that I, I've been looking this up, you know, um, punishments for fake wine in the past, at least, um, you know, today you just get, you know, maybe thrown out of the country like Rudy. But um, in the past, it, it ranged from having to drink a glass of the fake wine and then having the rest of it poured over your head, um, which was one punishment in England, to um, being um, either uh, hanged or, or I think, burned alive in Germany. That is, that's that's Germans that's, don't that, screw that, around. No, they don't. <laughs> really, do not. I mean, so, you know, and you know, I, I, you know, if you're going to counterfeit some DRC, that might be a bit of a, <laughs> a bit of a, <laughs> a way of keeping people from getting too many ideas. But it's, you know, it's 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 quite something. Um, I, I I find this stuff at the higher level fascinating, though not necessarily. I don't tend to write about old DRC or old, you know, Petrus or, or, or the ones that are counterfeited. But I do find the, the willingness of people to believe in things that clearly can't be real um, to be fascinating. There was at one point I was talking to a sommelier and he's like, there's more 1921 Petrus in Vegas than was ever, ever bottled, <laughs> you know, there's probably a problem there. Had a couple of bottles and it's like, there just wasn't that much. So, um, so it's both, you know, it's, it is, it's unquestionably a problem. Um, but is, is it widespread? I think it's, I think it's, it's, it's quite, I think it's widespread at the top of the auction scale. Um, you know, there are quite famous instances, um, you know, documented recently with, you know, with Rudy Kerniawan, it was, it's the most recent major um, situation, but, um, you know, with, with just a lot of bottles being not what they claim to be, um, and it, and it's expanding. There's and there's actually quite a bit of worry about counterfeiting in the whiskey business right now too, and particularly in bourbon, bourbon more than single malt scotch, but but both. And it and if you look online, there are a lot of empty high end bourbon bottles for sale, um, which you know is a twenty one year old Pappy Van Winkle empty bottle that may end up on a shelf filled with you know um, old whatever. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of a, a, a natural extension of the, the combination of, of the romance of the mm. industry, the egos of certain collectors, and the, the value that's placed on these bottles in the secondary market yeah. um, is sort of a perfect storm. And it's also, you're dealing with, I mean, you know, even it was something that's unlikely, like a 47, you know, Petrus or whatever. I mean, most of them get traded back and forth without ever getting opened. Um, and then if they do get open, how many people have drunk enough 47 Petrus to know what it's supposed to taste like? Or what um, it's supposed to taste like today. Or what it's going to taste like today. Um, so it's it's such an opportunity, you know, in a sense for people who want to counterfeit. I'm going to run a very quick poll. And when we see, we look at the, res the result at the end. I, I wanted to jump with Akos, just one second. You're a fine wine merchant. How big a problem is that for you in, in, uh, in, the, in the business? I have seen that um, with Agon wines very first-handed myself. So when uh, I started with Agon in 2004, no wine was contributed at all, zero. In, as um, we worked the brand and, and it got better and better and better and globally as well and more recognized, about four or five years ago, we started seeing coming out of Belgium, 
by Chinese entrepreneurs, uh, counterfeited Egon Miller TBA bottles that were made up of different vintages and things like that. And, um, you know, that has become a problem. That has become a problem. And uh, go online and you can see that Egon posted that somebody broke into his winery and stole papers of label rolls with Trockenberg and on it, mm-hmm. with number 75 CLs, half bottles and magnums. So every magnum and bottle is, is numbered. So he published uh, on the internet saying this is what happened. And uh, they didn't come in to steal the wine. They, they came and stole specifically the labels only. And that was, uh, I mean, the first time I've ever seen that is when I was working for Hennessy in Eastern Europe. And, and there I would go to a bar and I would order a bottle, uh, you know, a glass of Hennessy. And definitely it was Georgian brandy. No question. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's really interesting, though, how much it has made some of the higher end brands think about their um, their supply chain and their traceability. And oh. that's actually not a bad thing. You know, I know um, Chateau Latour has done some incredible work with um, microchips and barcodes and, and being able to actually trace your bottle, um, which is probably the way. But it, it's interesting, though. I don't think there's a whole lot. There's been such a crackdown on the high end and there have been so many... Um, like experts coming in and all of a sudden now it's, you know, after the whole um, Ponceau debacle, a lot of the more, the larger issues have been with lower end wines. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, the Cote de Rune or whatever, or, or a, um, you know, a Bordeaux with an S on the end, um, just kind of preying on the lack of knowledge of a local entry-level wine drinker and that can be really damaging for a whole region i I wanted just one second one second one second second. i wanted to ask joseph you're a collector you're a wine collector is that a problem i I, how do you make sure that what you buy (laughs) is actually the real thing i usually buy directly from the uh, well not directly from the chateau but from people that i know that get their wines from the chateaus and um, i'm lucky to know many uh, suppliers in saint-emillon which is my main region where i collect personally so I know that the wines I have are definitely not um, counterfeit. In a wine tasting, I, I once uh, we came across, uh, might have been a 47 Fijac, I'm not sure that was uh, counterfeit, but we'll give it away. Um, I know they sometimes they recondition the bottle, but the, the wine was just too young, too new world to be anything like a 40, 47. For example, I have... Um, a Mutoro Child uh, uh, 42, um, um, which was made by very naughty people, and a 49. And I had uh, four bottles, and I drank one of each. The 42 was not drinkable. The 49 was fantastic. Um, so I, I still have a bottle of each of that. But um, it is a worry when, when you buy um, from auctions, um, even from reputable auction houses, it is a problem. So I try not to do that as much as possible unless the deal is so good that then you don't care in the sense that if you end up with counterfeit, you end up with counterfeit. You can do nothing about it. But uh, what, what I try to do is just to check the provenance. And um, I'm lucky to have uh, Michael Tabone um, in Malta, who's, uh, who's family, but he's also a wine guru. And his life, his world is wine. Um, and he made my life revolve also around wine because that's all we do when I'm in Malta. I have many hobbies, of course, scuba okay. diving and dogs and everything. But <laughs> but when I'm in Malta, we call them uh, the catching up um, from the dry period because when I'm singing, I cannot um, 
<laughs> you drink, drink. So when I so I'm so I'm not singing. We have what we called twelve-hour lunches. They start at midday and they <laughs> end at midnight, with a lot of the armagnac, like uh, like Akos showed before. Yeah. Yeah, like yeah, like so. Akos, <laughs> yes, like, yeah. like Akos. He has those so, those twelve-hour thing going. Uh, absolutely. On. I, think, so, I think that's it's super interesting though. Do, do you think though that when you buy you know old wines, very rare wines at auction, um, counterfeit is sort of another potential issue like you know who knows how it was stored who knows what the fill level you know it, it's it's just one of those things that you're taking you're a gamble on um yeah. i don't know I, so I think the question of trust there's a question of okay there's technology but not the old bottles probably it's going to be hard to put technology on these things how, the, the question provenance. of trust is very important in this case yeah there's i mean the private there's provenance and there's and there's and counterfeiting and that's like they people cheat on provenance as well which is what you're saying jamie you know that it's of course it was stored in you know um in in cellar conditions for for 75 years which you know <laughs> actually on a loading dock in 1952 for six hours and it was cooked um i just i put a background up here this is a label um from this is a counterfeit chinese label um it's it's pinfold's bin 389 but it actually says pinfinol's fin 389 shiraz and and that's the kind of counterfeit that is not high end. I mean, that's a that's a that's a baseline pinfolds wine. That's you know, I think the prices have gone up. It's about fifty bucks now. It used to be thirty five, and that's just that's counterfeit. As you were talking about to an audience that that just doesn't know wine and and will fall for you know something that is clearly counterfeit, but it, it exists. It was made to be a counterfeit wine. Um, but, well, and and so that we just don't go down some weird racist rabbit hole and right. think it's it, in China. Um, yeah. When I used to work at Moet, no worries. there were, they literally had people who just went around like the markets in Southern Italy and, and in different parts of Spain looking for um, counterfeit bottles of Moet because there were all kinds of things that looked vaguely like that had the little necker on and all that, um, that were trading on the image that Moet had created. So um, it's certainly not something that's new. No, and, and it's not, and it's definitely not just China. I didn't mean to throw into the into the bin, no, but, but it has it, happened a lot in China. So I know we tend to go yeah. that way, but just yeah. yeah. So we, Akosh, I wanted to ask you as 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 a, as a fine wine merchant. So these are things, as you were saying before, you 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 were exposed to when there's a buyer coming in, and they don't know you. Is that a question that arises uh, when you build up the trust with that new buyer, where they ask you about you know the provenance? Is it you know? Uh, is it, is, well, it, is it the right stuff? It, Can we trust you, etc.? I'll be honest with you. If you asked me this question about 15 years ago, I would say yes. But now, because we have been around for 22 years, you know, uh, people know our reputation and uh, the clientele that we have. It really doesn't, has never really been in question. But it is, it is true that, you know, when we start out with someone, you know, it's like putting your foot into the water, right? You dip your toes in first and then you check it out and then you, you move from, uh, on from there. And there, are, there were instances where clients say, okay, you know, <clears throat> get me, I, I want to build a collection, but... So I said, I have this wine that I found. And the guy said, I want only very old wines. And da, da, da. And I found him a 1917 Chateau Ozone, 12 bottles, original wooden case. It, it belonged to a friend of mine. I know it's been, it's been there forever. And the guy couldn't believe it. And I said, okay, well, listen, you try it. If you don't, if you don't like, if, if you think it's fake, it's fine. I'll, you know, that's it. It's my, it's my loss. The guy bought it. He paid for it. He opened the bottle and he's been buying ever since. 
That's just a, you know, it's like everything. <laughs> that's a good way to attract a new that's client. That's, but that works in the 1917 Chateau Ozone level as much as it works on the fact that you give somebody a Bourgogne Blanc and say, trust me, your wife is going to like it. You know what I mean? <laughs> but but contribute, well, contribute itself, I think what we, what we should also address is what people do about it. Because there's one thing that, you know, yes, of course, you know, a bottle of Lafitte worth $500 in China. Great. Lovely. I mean, empty. I mean, you know, it's, it's wonderful. I know that. But, um, but at the end of the day, what do people do about it? And a lot of them, as much as, you know, we say that you should do this or that the other, they actually don't do that much about it. That is what is the scary part of it. And, you know, I, I, you know, and you mentioned the whiskey, which is quite interesting, that the whiskey producers, they started introducing blockchain into, uh, in, in, They, they, they whole production. And, you know, now you have, uh, you know, chips that go in there and so on and so on. So it's all, it's all happening. But then, you know, I was talking to somebody who is a chip manufacturer in there and he says, well, yes, but, you know, with the EU GDPR problems, we can't trace bottles in where people are taking the bottles, where they store it and so on and so on. So all of a sudden you say, okay, you have all this technology but because of political reasons, you cannot use it, Right. <laughs> yeah, just uh, quickly the, the result of the poll. Uh, so, so two very simple, two very simple questions. Have you ever encountered counterfeit wine? Uh, 80%, 80% say no. Uh, when you buy fine wine, are you worried? Uh, are you worried? Sorry about the spelling. Uh, about <laughs> counterfeit, and it's about <laughs> it's about fifty fifty. So, so potentially at the high end, you, you wouldn't see that, that much of a problem. It's, it's potentially in terms of quantities at, at the middle end, at the, at the middle but, range. But sometimes you're in for surprises, good ones. Um, I once encountered a close case of uh, Latura Pomerol, 1990, which is an incredible vintage for that wine. And I told Michael, I'm going to mention him again, it was 20% of the market of the average market price of a Tropam roll. And I, and I wrote to the guy, I said, why is it so low? He said, I hate wine. My grandfather died. I said, has it been stored in a cellar? He said, listen, it's been stored in the garage uh, for, I think, I don't know, you know how many decades. Um, and, and since probably he bought them on Premier and, and we never touched it. But the garage is pretty stable. It's pretty cool. So I said, this is an honest guy. I'm going to try that. Um, I still have two bottles. This night, this particular case has one blind taste, tastings completely, same vintage, um, open at the same time, and everything treated the same way. Against Cheval Blanc, against Ozon, against uh, Chateau Fijac, and and I, I can continue going. Um, even Petros as well. Uh, we, all blind tasting, and and this wine gets kept on winning. And I tease Michael about it all the time. So sometimes there are surprises and there are some deals, but of course. If it's too good to be true, often it is. It wasn't in this case, though. Yeah. Well, I think, too, if you are trying to get bragging rights and, you know, want to the 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 billionaire's vinegar, et cetera, et cetera, all this kind of like I am the fanciest. I am the mo I have the oldest. I have the this. I have the that. I kind of feel like you get what you pay for, you know, Um <laughs> So uh, yeah. if you really are looking to, to get a very special bottle because you really love wine and I don't know, it's a birth year or it's some sort of important date, that's one thing. But I find honestly, a lot of the motor that drives that very high end that is susceptible to these sort of really big counterfeits mm -hmm. um, is more about ego and bragging rights. And 
I have very little sympathy. Just so I'm clear. Yeah. And going I back obviously to left Akash, my filter in Raleigh. <laughs> back to what Akash was saying, you know, the the in terms of what do you do about it, one of the problems that's come across is that a lot of the people who have this much ego and spend that much money on wine without necessarily knowing what they're doing, really don't want to be shown to be not knowing what they're doing. It's, you know, it's like, it's, it's embarrassing to have been taken by someone. And so I think in a couple of the instances, there were people, the, the Rudy's situation in particular, there were people who just didn't want to testify who who were like, I don't want anybody to know that I got suckered. Yeah. And I think there's another interesting thing. I think there's always a fascinating kind of philosophical question about counterfeits and it comes up in art more than in wine, but you know, if, you know, if someone gives you a counterfeit bottle of 1945, Mouton, let's say, and you and you open it. You don't pay for it, and you open it and you drink it, and it's glorious. But and then one thing about Rudy Kernion, he was very good at counterfeiting the flavor of wines. He fooled people who really knew what they were doing. So if you open that and drink it, and you love it, and you toss the old bottle in the trash, and you go on with your life, did it matter that it was counterfeit? And this, you know, this it's as a question that's been raised about art because there are some some of the art counter fine art counterfeiters have been brilliant artists. Yeah. who just weren't making the real thing. <laughs> and so, you know, once it's an exact replica of something, you know, at, why is it not the same? You know, and, and it goes into a whole lot of aesthetic, aesthetic questions. As, as long as there's no lead in it. it should as be long there's no lead in it, yeah. <laughs> if it's full of lead and mercury, then yes, yeah, yeah, you may have a problem. <laughs> and and you, haven't, you haven't mentioned the worst, um, I know it's not a liquid, but I, I sort of, I class it in the same category, cigars. Once oh, yeah. my, my doctor has been my, been my doctor since the age of 14, um, and he still doesn't need mental treatment, uh, funnily enough. Um, he, um, he, he got me, oh, I have a, a, a box of uh, Cohiba, uh, Behike, Behike, I don't know how to pronounce it, Behike or Behike. And I said, Behike, yeah. And I said, right, and I have uh, four boxes of that aging nicely in my cellar. Um, but I know that they are almost impossible to find because they have been discontinued. And 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 I, I never told him. I hope he doesn't listen to this podcast because I'm screwed. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't I worry. Really hope the likelihood of him listening. <laughs> but 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 that that was easy because the the vehicle they have the um the the label with um like a hologram, and one foolproof test is if you uh, a good cigar should stay upright. If you try to put them. Um, and they and they fall down. Uh, they put them vertically and they fall down. Then they're probably fake. Uh, mm-hmm. And they smoked nothing like Bihiki. But when I had people at uh, dinner parties, guess what's the first box of cigars I opened? So people were like, <laughs> so people were like, oh my god, Joseph Kalea is really great. He gives up Bihiki like 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 they're nothing, and nobody noticed. It was still a good smoke up. I, but I did. I'm not. I'm not. Uh, at all a cigar expert, but I just enjoy them very, very occasionally. Is it, is it as widespread uh, in wine, the counterfeit, as let's say with Vuitton, you know, uh, luxury items and bags and whatever you have? Or is it, is it really well, something on the fringes? Well, I, I can walk down Canal Street and I can buy a fake Vuitton bag for 10 bucks. And uh, so I don't think it's widespread in, in that it's literally everywhere. But um, it's more widespread than I think a, a lot of people in the wine business realize. I mean, I think, um, again, perhaps preaching for my parish, but um, if it's, you know, affecting a very small um, part of the collector audience who can quite honestly afford it, it, it should definitely not happen. But 
okay. But if it's um, affecting actual wineries who are losing out because their products are either being undercut or um, their reputations are being damaged. I think there's a very big difference between, you know, 10 or 12 old bottles that are being created um, and hundreds of thousands of cases that are being flooded into various markets. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was a case recently of an Italian group that was counterfeiting Sasakaya and they were, they were, I mean, they were doing at least a thousand cases, if not more, which, you know, yes, Sasakaya is bought by people who have a fair amount of money, but at the same time, that's damaging to the winery to have a thousand cases of what was, you know, basically cheap Puglian red in Sasakaya bottles. It, you know, it, it, it is a financial issue for the winery in that case, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Before we conclude, your thumbs up and thumbs down. If you don't feel like it, it's okay. There's no problem. <laughs> Nothing forced. I know these are these are uh, strange times. Let's put it this way. Um, let's start with you, uh, Ray. Well, thumbs up. Um, I've been doing a lot of tasting uh, for a couple of columns over the past few days, uh, tasting a lot of wines that I don't that I don't know at all. One of them's for a skin contact white column. Um, one is for uh, it's kind of other purposes. And, and, and it's just a reminder. And there's a lot of brands that I haven't run into and a lot of wines that kind of push the envelope of what we normally think of as wine. And, and it's just a reminder that there's so much variety and so much fat, you know, fascinating stuff out there in wine, you know, that even after writing about it for 20 years, I still come across stuff that I'm like, wow, this is terrific. Um, thumbs down. I mean, the, the, the big thumbs down is obviously it's not even a thumbs down. It's too, it's too major to be considered that, but the, the, the whole Ukraine thing is awful on a more realistic level. I, I, I thumbs down to, you know, corked wines. I had two corked wines. You know, this goes back to our conversation <laughs> last week, last week. Know, out, of, out of this wonderful ago. tasting I've been doing. There are two wines that were just, you know, destroyed by the cork that was in them and like, dang it, you know, happens every time. So yeah. thumbs, thumbs down to damaged wine. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Ray. Jamie. Yeah. I mean, thumbs down, obviously what's happening in the Ukraine. And I think it's up to, everyone to make their voices heard. And I hope we all do. Um, Also the ridiculously transphobic piece of legislation that governor Abbott has decided he's going to try and push through in Texas, which is just insane. Um, So, I mean, hello, we're going to arrest parents of trans children. Anyway, um, my thumbs up is um, that I actually made it, which is my first thumbs up. And my second is, um, uh, very, 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 very fond memories of a an amazing diving trip I did in Gozo many, many years ago. Um, it's actually where I got certified uh, for my advanced um, diving certification on my birthday many years ago. So, wow. Yes. Malta uh, is the remember- center of the world. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember where you stayed? Oh my gosh, it was a teeny tiny little place. Um, and I had the genius idea to go for my birthday, which was in, is in March. Um, it was absolutely the coldest I've ever been in my life in the water, but it was so beautiful. And there were only two of us there. So Cliff, the dive master, um, decided to take me for my advanced certification that week. So it was great. Of course. Was I'm, I'm, I'm actually a diver, diver too. I mean, I mean Goza has beautiful um, um, diving mm. spots. Absolutely. Congratulations. Absolutely. Nice. Akosh, thumbs up. Well, yes. First of all, Jamie, I did my diving certificate in New York in end of September. <laughs> <laughs> it's less exotic than, than, it than Gozo. Snowing. <laughs> it was snowing. 
put it that way, you know. <laughs> so yeah, no, I mean, thumbs up is just we had a very nice skiing holiday, which was last week, which uh, was Davos. Great. beautiful. Hey, Davos, yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah. That, uh, that was really good, and uh, yeah, I had Ishvan Sepshi with me, which we who we all know. He was yeah, we saw the pictures. They were nice. All week because it's uh, in February in uh, in England, and uh, so we were in Edinburgh yesterday and in London and da, 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 and we had a nice lunch today uh, as well. And yeah, so it was a good week. So that's uh, that's my thumbs up for everything. Very nice. Thank you, uh, all of you. We'll see you in three weeks on uh, March the seventeenth. And now we're on uh, with uh, Tanisha Townsend for License to Taste.